Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, John, this week we're going to be talking about the ripple effects of the Supreme Court's landmark Janus versus Ask Me ruling a few weeks ago, which has the potential to undermine the power of public employee unions in California and nationally. And basically the lawsuit, as many of you listening out there are familiar with, it basically says that employees who opt out of joining their unions no longer have to pay dues of any kind. Today we'll talk about the campaigns that several conservative organizations have launched in California to convince teachers and other employees who belong to these unions to leave the union and save themselves some money and weaken the unions in the process. But first, there was a significant development when Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos finally approved California's education plan that it had to submit under the terms of the federal Every Student Succeeds Act. The feds had sent the plan back twice for revisions, and it had to be approved before California could receive at least $2.4 billion in federal aid. John, was there any doubt that California might actually lose those funds? That's a great question that won't have to be answered. You know, over the past six months or so, there were members of the state board who were willing to go to court over a fundamental disagreement between the federal approach and California's approach to reform, which is laid out in the local control funding formula. That's the state law that preceded Congress's passage of the Every Student Succeeds Act by by two years. The federal approach is to have states identify the 5% of the worst scoring or performing schools and concentrate on making them better. California's taken sort of a whole district approach of identifying areas of low performance district-wide and not isolate them to like the lowest handful of schools. So board members were worried that there there would be two competing approaches that would divert energy and attention from the from what the board has been trying to do. So I'm glad the state and the feds worked it out. So we'll see if the lowest performing schools, which the state still has to identify, improve in the context of the state system. We'll find out in three or four years. I did notice in the press release issued by the U.S. Department of Education with DeVos's approval that both Mike Kirst, who's president of the California State Board of Education, and Tom Torlakson, our superintendent of public instruction, were quoted indicating how innovative California's reforms are. That, to me, indicates quite a high level of harmony between California and the Trump administration, at least on this issue. So, it looks like we won't be talking about this plan for quite a while, John, or at least until some advocacy organizations look at the fine print of the plan and try to make sure that the state actually does what it says it's going to do. Let's talk about the Janus ruling and uh, what several conservative groups are up to here in California. So I thought the case involved relief to a small percentage of employees, less than 10% in California, who are not members of a union who no longer have to pay fees for the represent them. 90% of teachers in California are dues-paying members of a teacher's union, and, and part of that cost covers lobbying and contributions to political candidates. 
Well, that's correct. But what's happening now is that uh, conservative organizations are really trying to leverage the ruling, which uh, was in their favor, of course, and are trying to reach teachers and other school employees throughout the state to convince them to leave the unions as well. Well, who are these groups? Well, we've identified three groups. One is the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. It's actually based in Michigan. Another is the Freedom Foundation, which is headquartered in Washington State. And another is the California Policy Center, which has an office in Tustin, California. Now, all of these groups belong to something called the State Policy Network, which is a network of many organizations in 49, maybe all 50 states. So who funds these groups? <laughs> okay. I knew you were going to ask me that. We don't know. Uh, the, the fact is that like any nonprofit organization, they actually do not have to disclose who their donors are. Not publicly. They do have to disclose to the IRS. And uh, so we don't know. All of the groups we talked to declined to reveal the donors. But we do know that um, there have been some reports from progressive organizations like the Economic Policy Institute that have looked into this. And they know that the State Policy Network, for example, does get money from a lot of corporations and also a lot of very well-known individuals and organizations and foundations on the conservative right, such as the Koch brothers and organizations associated with them, the Bradley Foundation and uh, the Scape Foundation and others. But we really actually don't know where the bulk of the funding comes from these organizations who are working in California. Well, we did have a chance to speak to a leader of one of the organizations you mentioned, Will Swaim, president of the California Policy Center. It's a small organization based in Tustin, California, Southern California, and it started about five years ago. At the time, it was looking into public employee pension reform, and then it created a site called Transparent California, where you can look up the the pay and salary of every public employee in California and for retirees how much pension they make. Yeah, and that's a large number of people, 1.4 million or so public employees, and um, several hundred thousand of those are school-related employees, the biggest chunk. And then also on the site, they have the names of 2.5 million or so state former state employees who are drawing pensions from the state. So tell me, what are they doing now? Well, interestingly, this California Policy Center only has about five employees, so they don't have lots of boots on the ground. But where they really seem to have quite a good deal of power is in the digital database realm. And uh, they have used this Transparent California database to get additional information on these employees. Once you've got the name, then you can buy commercially available sites. You can look up voter registration roles. You can get onto Facebook, Twitter, etc., and actually compile a lot of information. And so, basically, uh, Will Swain tells us that if they get five pieces of information, that's kind of the, the minimum that they need in order for this information to be actionable, to be able to contact the employee in some fashion with information. But in some cases, they have up to 35 pieces of information, what he calls data points. And they can really tell quite a lot about your political leanings and whether you might be susceptible to leaving the union. So we asked Will Swain how this database actually works. Yeah, there's not much of a secret to this. Um, I, I think that 
this is, you know, gathering information about potential uh, voters or candidates or, you know, recruitment targets, members, if you're in a union, this stuff goes back probably generations, certainly was not unique in the 80s when I came of age and we collected information about voters in uh, in local elections. You know, we'd knock on the door and ask them about their preferences. So we do the same thing with the data we've got. We're able to get together, I think, much more interesting data these days. And so when you say five data points, we're really talking there about something that's not terribly mysterious. We're looking at things like um, a mailing address, a personal email rather than a work email because unions block work emails from these kinds of uh, information campaigns. Um, So, you know, we're looking for a, a number of pretty conventional ways to get in touch with somebody and let them know what their options are. How do you get up to 35 data points? We look at, at people's stated preferences uh, for candidates or issues or political issues, what you name it, and we try to create data based on that. So, for example, we know that in the United Teachers of Los Angeles, a huge number of teachers there were actually supporters of Bernie Sanders in the primary at a time when the California Teachers Association was actually backing Hillary Clinton pretty aggressively. So, we know that these people supported a candidate that had the populist and perhaps, you know, even sort of left liberal politics of Bernie Sanders. So we know that about them. We know who they communicate most frequently with in public media. Um, so we can put together these kinds of things so that we can make sure that the message we deliver to those people is really contoured to the things that interest them. Do you mind social media, Facebook, Twitter? How do you get how do you know what preference they have on a number of things? Yeah, on you, you can do this in Facebook in a fairly conventional, again, fairly conventional, non-Russia uh, hacking kind of way. Um, I think I mentioned the Obama campaign did this really successfully in 2008 in micro-targeting. It really lays out a beautiful blueprint for how you use social media to identify what interests people have. That helps us build out the data profile of the people we're trying to talk to. So what percentage of workers do you think you'll be able to convince to leave the union? Well, again, I'm not so I'm not trying to be coy here, but our goal is not to tell people to leave, but to let them know they've got the choice and then to help them if they want to act on that choice to leave. Uh, We can talk if you have time about some of the responses we've gotten from people who do want to make a choice, but don't necessarily want to leave the union they're in. Um, they're really attached to their locals. So I think that, you know, probably 20% is the number that we'll see within two to three years. That was Will Swain, president of the California Policy Center, a conservative organization based in Southern California. To get the union perspective, we asked Joshua Peshtalt, who is president of the California Federation of Teachers, it has over 100,000 members, what he thinks of these tactics and whether he thinks they will be effective at all. You know, I think it would be naive to believe that they're not going to have any influence. Um, we've expected this all along. I believe the Koch brothers uh, indicated that they were going to spend a few hundred million dollars on this effort. You know, their track record indicates that they do things pretty well. But, um, you know, our work in the last couple of years and our work currently to get members to recommit and to be active in their locals would suggest that most members are going to stay with their unions. So I think we, unfortunately, we will lose some membership, but I think at some point there's going to 
be a plateau when we're going to begin to regain those members. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we don't alienate people, that if people leave, uh, we'll talk to them in a respectful way, but with the end game of being able to uh, get those folks back and uh, people who are agency fee payers uh, who are no longer paying agency fee, we're also going to continue to engage them. So, and when you say agency fee, you mean those are the people who are paying their share of union fees that don't include payments to political organizations and so on, political contributions that you might make? Yes, we use the words agency fee and fair share interchangeably. They were paying up until a few days ago, until the Supreme Court ruled. So uh, they no longer have to pay anything, but uh, we're going to continue to engage them and see if we can't get them to be members of uh, our locals and our unions. So let me ask you about that. Obviously, the Janus ruling did not come as a surprise. I'm sure you would have hoped that the outcome would be different, but you've been preparing for this for quite a while. The Friedrichs case a couple of years ago was, was trying to do the same thing. So what have you been doing and what will you be doing proactively to try to ensure that there isn't a big drop-off in membership? Well, um We've, yes, you're right. We've been preparing for this for some time. We've been engaging our members, talking to them, trying to get move agency fee payers into becoming full members because we knew that uh, it was very likely we would lose agency fee. So many agency fee payers thought they were part of the union, and uh, you know we wanted to talk to them. We want people who legitimately don't want to be part of the union. You know, there is a process. They have to send in a letter, and they're going to get out of the union. And we hope that leaves a decent taste in people's mouths so that when we uh, really make an effort to engage them to come back to the union, you know, they won't have had a bad experience. Josh, what's the message that your members are hearing from these groups? Is it hey, you, you know, it's $1,000, you could be going on vacation, or is it these guys don't represent your political views? What, what are you hearing from your members that the groups are telling them? Well, I think it's varied. I think in some cases, uh, save your money and sign this card or whatever. In others, it's, uh, you know, your union doesn't represent your political interests. So I think it, it varies. I will say that uh, having looked at some of their their flyers or whatever, they're very sophisticated, they're very well done, and, you know, I think, unfortunately, some members are going to fall victim to that. You know, we will lose some folks, but, you know, what we're hearing right now is that most people are saying, you know, to heck with that, I'm sticking with the union. Just uh, one last question. Obviously, fewer members means less money coming into your coffers, and you pay organizers, you pay people who negotiate contracts and so on, help at, at the district level. Are you concerned that with less money, you will be less effective in being able to negotiate contracts? And that relates to salaries and so on that teachers are hoping will go up. Well, we have to be concerned about less revenue coming in and not being as effective as we might be. But, you know, in the CFT, We've spent considerable amount of time looking at our internal priorities, 
we focused, uh, we decided that internal organizing had to be uh, at the top of the list. We've been able to cut close to 20% of our revenue. Uh, fortunately, we've been able to minimize the number of layoffs. Uh, people have retired, and so we've just not replaced them. But, you know, our organizers, our field reps, uh, now have m- more responsibility. They have more work. And at some point, potentially, uh, the cuts could be so damaging that, you know, we wouldn't be effective. We, we hope not to get to that place, but um, it's a serious blow. That was Joshua Peshtalt, president of the California Federation of Teachers. Well, how effective, Lewis, do you think that these efforts will be in persuading members of unions to quit? Hard to know, John. I think clearly California is different from Wisconsin and Michigan, a very progressive state. Most teachers are pretty progressive. So I think the question is how big a minority of teachers and school employees these organizations will be able to reach and convince. And it's really going to be a test of yet another use of these digital online strategies. You know, the the Obama campaign, when he first ran for president, very effective at targeting messages to individual voters. And similarly, the Trump administration kind of perfected that to be even more granular. And so these tactics have been around for a while. See how effective they are in trying to separate people from their unions. It's clear that the groups have a political aim here, which is to weaken the union's power in Sacramento. I don't really think they care about what happens in contracts in local districts. That's their goal, and I'll be interested to see what percentage of membership defections, if that turns out to be, it is as some kind of turning point for the power of the CTA and the California Federation of Teachers. Yeah, but I would say, you know, there's different motives. I know Will Swain, who we talked to, he's he he argues that this is a libertarian thing. If you want to join union, fine, but you shouldn't have to pay money to support causes or individuals or campaigns that you don't believe in. So multiple motives here, but I think the larger goal of number of groups, including the state policy network, which the, all these organizations belong to, is to weaken the role of uh, public employee unions, which is really the most vibrant and, and strongest sector of the labor movement. And that just about wraps it up for this week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. You can find us on iTunes and at edsource.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>